You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the spirits, I call in the ancestors. I call in all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives. I call out to those who built and carry to us the legacy that moves through us and on to the descendants who are coming. I call out to those who lived well and those who died well and those who are, who are concerned with the quality of life. We ask them to be with us here today to gather round. To help us as we are challenged to meet that which the day brings to us in this contemporary world. I call out to those ancestors to help us to meet fear with strength and courage and laughter. I call out to the helping spirits, the ancestors who knew joy in times of great struggle And I call out to those who prevailed, one way or another, prevailed and were able to live a good life, a life of true and enduring qualities, in spite of all that went on around them. So I call out to these ancestors that we might learn from you, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, and bring the wisdom of those people here through our lives into this family of humanity. Because we no longer live in these small villages and small isolated communities, but we are one global family. And I call out to the ancestors of this global family, those who bring the wisdom of all of the peoples, to be with us as we go forward on this day, humbly, each individual person, doing all that we can do to make the world a beautiful living place for all beings, human and non-human. So we call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today while we choose to be here now in our bodies and to reach down into the earth with our gratitude for this day, for the beauty and wonder of this day, for the grace of this day, and for the miracle of life. And we extend that gratitude in our hearts down through our bodies into the earth into all of the layers of the earth, and we give thanks for this being, this planet, and the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we understand it, as we experience it here onto the face of this planet. She didn't have to choose to support life, but that was the choice made. That was the dreaming. And it is from that dream that life came, and from the dream of life that our ancestors came, and from the dream of our ancestors that we are here. And we are dreaming the reality we are experiencing into existence in this very moment. And we are dreaming of the world that the descendants are coming into. So we ask the earth to help us. Help us as dreamers to dream well, to dream with discipline, to dream of beauty, to dream of the integrated and co in co-created network of all things, to not dream of fear, to not dream of disappointment, to not dream of those things that are the worries of the day, but to live in a way that we can set those worries aside and dream well. So we call out to the earth and her wisdom of manifestation to teach us to be better dreamers. And for that great gift, we give thanks for this miracle of life that the earth gives us. And with our feet firmly planted on the earth and our choice to be here in our bodies, we reach up, up into the sky, reaching all the way through the beauty of the sky above you, through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that power, call it down. Call it down to inform you and to inform your day. Call it down to bring you guidance and blessing. 
Call it down to bring you the connection to generosity that your heart might find compassion. And call it down to bring into your life, into this circle, into your day, protection. That you might feel the protection of spirit so that you can risk doing what you have truly come here to do. So we call out to the energy above and we draw the sky down with great thanks and gratitude into ourselves, into our bodies, and down to touch the earth. And with the great lovers of all time, as we understand it, touching earth and sky through us, in our bodies, in our lives, with that great energy connected, the Tao within us, we call out to the energy of the heart. We call out to the human heart to be with us here now fully and courageously. And we call out to the heart to open as the crucible that it is to draw up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down, draw down the cool clarity of the mind and let these energies mix within our hearts into that blend that brings forth that third energy that is your reason for being here. Your gift, your unique genius, your soul's purpose. May you know that in your heart here today and find the courage to live it. May what occurs here today be good for all living things. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. We give thanks for those in the spirit realms that support us in these endeavors. And I give thanks to the spirits embodied in humans who are moved by the show into action into action that supports the show financially that it can remain on the air. So I give special thanks to John and to Nate and to all the listeners that have donated to this show. I appreciate the greetings and the expressions of gratitude from people that I meet here and there in classes, in workshops, at conferences. I have to admit, though, they always surprise me. They're so sincere and so um, generous in their thanks And yet, these are people whose names do not show up on this list of donations. If this show is of such great benefit to you, can you not share the price of your $5 latte at Starbucks? Can you not forego your manicure this month and offer it to this show? Can you not decide to give up that last beer and donate that money to the show to keep this on the air. This is an opportunity to vote with your dollars, people. We vote with our dollars. We vote for the people that run our country once every four years. Every day you vote with your dollars. If this show matters to you in ways coffee and beer and manicures can never matter, please consider donating even a humble amount to keep the show live keep it on the air we have three almost three years worth of shows we could easily step away and let those just live in the archives and let you listen to those over and over again but for the show to stay live for your questions to be answered for new topics to be addressed we need the show to be supported by those who are listening So I ask you to do the shamanic thing and allow your heart to be moved into action. If every single one of you listening to this show donated only $5, only five, the show would be alive and healthy and vital and well. And so I ask you to truly consider to allow yourself to be moved by your heart in your whole life. And vote with your dollars for the things that matter to your heart. Not just this show. Everything. So that those things you know and you love and hold dear thrive and survive in this time of change. And those things that you do not value will die if they have no energy given to them. So think about that as you move through this day. We are the ones dreaming this reality into existence through our every thought and our every action. So for those of you that don't know how to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button and donate any amount of money, large or small, and in any currency of the planet. And we are happy to receive these donations, humble and large, as they do go directly to keeping the show on the air free for those who can access it through a computer. And I also am deeply grateful for your gratitude. I'm grateful for those of you that cannot donate financially and share the show with others 
who potentially can. I give thanks for every effort that you make to keep the show alive and strong. And I ask you to continue to send in your ideas for the show. The show's been on the air now for almost three years. Once a week for three years. I'm running out of ideas. So I would really like for you to share your ideas, share your questions, share your challenges with bringing shamanism into your daily life. And share those with me as well. Help me to keep this show alive, vital, and moving in Aini. Moving in a good, strong, balanced exchange of energy, exchange of ideas, and exchange of the heart. So thank you all for joining me here today. Today's topic is the direct response to a listener's questions. Um, We are talking today about the shamanic journey and direct revelation. We are live. You are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or click the Skype button at Co-Creator Network. Um, or email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right. So what is a shamanic journey? So let's start at the beginning, the very, very beginning of all time and fast forward to answer that question in a nutshell. Uh, so humans, let's start with humans. Human beings are designed physiologically to enter into altered states, many, abundantly, and frequently. The problem is most of us here in the Western world live in cultures that don't um, consider altered states of consciousness healthy, and this is a problem. But that was a different show that I talked about that. I'm not going into that whole discussion. Um, Maybe I will at another time. The point is you are designed physiologically to enter altered states. It's a good thing. It is necessary for you to maintain actual mature mental health to develop at least one way to enter regularly into a medicinal altered state. Sorry, people, that's the facts. Just because the AMA does not believe me doesn't make it wrong. Or they don't believe me doesn't make it wrong. Anyway, my point is most of the people on the planet and all of your ancestors understood that for your emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, which would then, of course, support your physical well-being, you need to be able to enter into an altered state. There are many, many altered states that we can enter into. You do it every day. Every time you get triggered by something and get thrown back into the past and start responding to that thing going on here in present time based on your past programming, you've been in an altered state. It's an altered state completely of your own making. And it's an altered state that's not helping you because you are no longer tracking reality. That's an altered state. So let's talk about the altered states that can actually help you live in the world in a good way. So the journey. So shamanic journeying is an altered state that is part of a group of altered states called divinatory altered states. There are also meditative altered states and yogic altered states. There are qigong altered states. There are many, many um, like trance induced, dance induced altered states, like trance dancing, um, whether it's Sufi spinning or um, people dancing themselves silly at a rave, not including the pharmaceuticals, okay? There are many, 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 many altered states that are healthful to us. Now, the divinatory altered states are altered states that allow us to connect with spirit for the purpose of divine revelation, basically, for the purpose of um, connecting to the divine and getting an answer to a question or some sort of energy around an intention. So, for example, an intention to be inspired, an intention to be rejuvenated. Or you could go with a question to find out what is at the root source of my fear of flying or something like that. But anyway, my point is... The journey altered state is a divination altered state. It is task-oriented. It is not um, a free-for-all. It is not just um, to go be a tourist in the spirit world. That sh- The shamanic altered states are divination altered states. They are task-oriented, and they are meant for you to go do something useful. Okay, so... 
the journey, like most of the altered states listed earlier, like meditation and yoga and qigong, the journey altered state is both a discipline and a practice. It is your birthright. It is in your DNA, in your physiology, in the way that your brain works for you to be able to journey. However, to do that, you need to develop the very small amount of discipline that goes with journeying, and you need to practice. Um, So the thing that journeying engages is a very particular state of mind. For most of us, it's an altered state of mind. It is that place in the mind where there is a dynamic tension between the discipline and the focus of what you were doing and your imagination. Most of us divide those two parts of the brain. We're either disciplined and focused over here doing some sort of work-related task or trying to remember what to get at the grocery store or trying to drive on the right side of the street or whatever that is, or we're in our imagination. And so we're using our imagination to escape from the discipline. Now, the beauty of the shamanic altered state is it requires that you find that place in your mind which is a deeply indigenous place in your mind where there is an inte- there is a tension it's a taoistic tension it's paradox between discipline the discipline of the task the discipline of journeying and the imagination because if your imagination is not utterly 100% freed up then the spirit world's got nothing to work with Okay, so the other thing about a shamanic journey is that it is an induced altered state. There is some form of, um, well, there is an inducer, I guess, for lack of a better word. And, and for this reason, there are many different kinds of shamanic journeys. That, and actually, that's, that in and of itself is misleading. There's only really one kind of shamanic journey, but there are many, many different inducers to that shamanic altered state. So the most popular, because they are universally legal, um, is sonic drivers. So those would be drums, click sticks, um, rattles, any kind of percussive um, instrument or items that can maintain a consistent rhythm. Now, Um, I hesitated when I said legal because one of the things conquering peoples came to understand is one of the things you needed to do if you wanted to conquer an indigenous people was make drumming or any kind of public use of a sonic driver, so any kind of public use of rhythm, illegal, so that only the military could use the drums. And, yes, Americans, in many parts of America... Drumming publicly, unless you were the military, was illegal into the 60s because this was the way that indigenous people and their drumming practices to enter into altered states were controlled. So even drumming used to not be legal. But anyway, the point is now, generally speaking, the use of a sonic driver is legal. Thus, uh, And it's also recordable, which makes it easy for us to take it to work. We can put on our headphones, we've got our drumming on our little iPod, and we can journey at work. And so there is a way, or rattles, or whatever it is that's been recorded, the sonic drivers, because they are about sound, and sound is recordable, makes this particular kind of journey very popular in a contemporary urban life. Because it's doable. Your neighbors aren't going to complain. It's also easy to enter into the altered state and exit the altered state when you're using a sonic driver, right? Other kinds of drivers, inducers for the journey are, as I said earlier, dancing, chanting, fasting. Those are all perfectly valid ways to enter into a shamanic journey and often used by shamans when whatever it is they're journeying on will have huge ramifications on their people. And they want to make sure they get the answer right. They will often fast before the journey. Um, Often journeys come from dance rituals. Um, And chanting is often used as a way to get into a space that makes you um, more able to have a deep journey. So these are all used for journeying. They take time. A lot of time. 
And for most contemporary people, the one thing you feel you don't have is time. So consequently, the sonic drivers become the default, again, for journeying because they don't take a lot of time to get into the journey. They're actually very quick to drive you through the, through the rhythm and the sound into the journey. But don't forget that there are many kinds of um, drivers to get into the journey. The other thing, of course, is plant hallucinogens. Now, 20 years ago when I started teaching journeying, this was um, – you would say that and people would go, oh, what would those be? Of course, now you say it and it goes, yeah, yeah, I did that last night. Um, that the, the ability for people to access the sacred plants and use them to enter altered states, is it's much more available today. And thus, it is much more easy to abuse them today. Because these are sacred plants. These are beings. These are spirits that expect you to come to them in a particular way that is respectful because they are teachers and they are plants. They know more than you do. From a shamanic perspective, in almost every shamanic culture, the plants are the most conscious beings. So to recreate with the plant spirits is a really, really bad idea because it is disrespectful. Look what's happened with tobacco. Yeah, looks what tobacco is the most challenging addiction to kick, from what I've heard from people I work with that have had multiple addictions. Why? Because tobacco is a very sacred plant. And people started using it recreationally. They stopped using it in a sacred way. And that plant spirit turned around and said, okay, fine. You want to abuse me? Do that at your own peril. Now, if you could get right with tobacco spirit, you could kick your addiction to tobacco. But you need to get right with that spirit. So I would encourage people to be exceedingly respectful of the plants as you use them to enter shamanic altered states. But I'm not going to pretend like you can't. You can, obviously. It's a huge part of shamanism. So there are many, many different drivers that induce us into a shamanic altered state. But it's important to understand the shamanic altered state, the shamanic journey is induced. It's an induced altered state. You can't just sit there and go there like a daydream. That's not the same thing. Now, keep in mind, in shamanism, there are two different primary altered states used by shamans. There is the journey and there is embodiment, sometimes mistakenly called possession. Because if you intend to start to enter into the altered state, it's not possession. Possession is an unintended, unhealthy altered state. All right. So keep in mind, there are two primary shamanic altered states. There is the journey and there is embodiment. There is a misunderstanding in contemporary shamanism from Westerners primarily that there comes a point when the shaman, quote unquote, no longer needs to journey. I cannot tell you how many people come to me after one or two years of journeying with the drum going, oh, I don't need the drum anymore. Okay. No, people. What's happening with experienced shamans is that they move seamlessly between a journey altered state where their spirit has moved into the spirit realm from everyday ordinary reality and then comes back again. An embodiment altered state where they're helping spirits are moving into their body. And informing them. So when a shaman, quote unquote, appears to not need to journey anymore, it's because they live, almost live in a shamanic embodiment altered state. And so their helping spirits are here. They don't need to go to them necessarily to communicate with them because they're present. Now, I am not, in this next thing I'm going to say, comparing myself to these kinds of really powerful indigenous shamans that I'm referring to who, quote-unquote, supposedly no longer need to journey and live in this embodiment altered state most of the time. But even me, even little old me, when I begin to journey for others, I begin the journey by calling in all of my helping spirits that might potentially assist me in that journey into my body. So I begin journeying for others in an embodiment altered state. So it's like a double whammy. So my point is, 
don't assume you, who've only been journeying for a year or two, actually have any idea what is going on with indigenous shamans and understand what it means when someone says, I no longer need to journey that way. Because with an experienced shaman, it is likely because they have developed such a rich and vital and mature relationship with their helping spirits that their helping spirits are embodied or are present or on the verge of being embodied most of the time in their supposedly ordinary life. And their life, frankly, isn't all that ordinary compared to ours when we're talking about altered states of consciousness. So one of the first mistakes that contemporary, particularly American journeyers make is they give up the drum or whatever they're using to journey, the rattle, the song. So this is one of the most common errors then in the shamanic journeying is stopping far too soon in your development from using your sonic driver or whatever you're choosing uh, to bring on your shamanic journey and throwing away your discipline. So those are the first two main mistakes that people make from some idea that somehow in one or two years you're going to master your shamanic altered states even though this shaman you're comparing yourself to who quote unquote no longer needs to journey has been doing this since they were seven for the last you know 50 years i mean think about it people use some common sense all right so now for those of you that sincerely do your best to learn how to journey this is the first and most common error everybody says it how do i know i'm not making this up Now, there is a standard answer for this, and it is a very good answer. How are you deciding what to make up? Where is the inspiration for what you are making up in your journey coming from? That is a valid and very good answer. And it's what is is usually given to first journeyers. But let's take this further. Why does it matter? If you're making it up, you are making it all up. There's no here, here. There is no ordinary reality that is distinctly different from non-ordinary reality in the sense that you're not making up one and you are making up the other. We are making up any, any sense in ordinary reality that we are having an ordinary reality life with a hard desk here supporting my physical computer and that there are physical things happening is an illusion. It's all just energy. You are making your ordinary reality life up. But this is how we learn to exist. We are doing this all the time. You are making it all up and you consider this real. So why should making up your journey be any different? So the more important question is, why is your journey different? If you're making it all up, if you're making ordinary reality up and non-ordinary reality, right? Why should you bother to journey? That's a much more interesting question. So, to the first question, how do I know I'm not making it up? You are. Get over it. It doesn't matter. That's my answer. Now, 20 years later. Okay. Why why should you then bother to journey if you're actually making up your everyday reality? So, what you're doing in journeying, in the discipline of journeying, is learning to take your sensory body, So not necessarily your physical body so much as the energetic connection of that physical body to your everyday life that allows you to have a sense of whether it's day or night, what the weather is, what's the temperature, are you in a forest, are you at the sea, are you in the middle of the city. So your senses, your sense of touch, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, your sense of hearing, your sight – but also your extrasensory perception. Does the place feel good? Does it feel stagnant? Does it feel um, energized? Does it feel energized in a nerve-wracking way or in an inspiring way? That we sense this stuff all the time, and so our sensory body is the aspect of ourself that's picking up this kind of information, and it's picking up bazillions of pieces of data to create for us this experience of reality that we live in here in ordinary reality. So what you're doing when you're journeying 
with the gift of the of the inducer, the driver, the thing, the sonic driver, the drum, whatever you're using to induce the journey, is you're learning to unplug the majority of your sensory body from ordinary reality and plug it in to non-ordinary reality, to the invisible world. And learn to navigate, just as you would learn to navigate uptown and downtown in ordinary reality, you learn to navigate then in non-ordinary reality by taking the same sensory body that plugs into the ordinary reality and plugging it into non-ordinary reality. Now, what's going to happen is that your extrasensory perceptions, the, your sense of things, your, your overall feeling of things is going to get jacked up in non-ordinary reality because that's more its medium it's able to operate um better actually in that world it's not so much interfered by the practicality of for example walking into a space that's supposed your brain is saying this is supposed to be a good space maybe it's a church or something this is supposed to be good energy and you walk in and every fiber of your being is going ah, let me out of here Right? That's your extrasensory perception is saying, I want to get out of here. So that is the reason your extrasensory perception is challenged in ordinary reality because your mind is interfering with a preconceived idea of what something should be before you even get there. Now, when you're in the journey state, that whole extrasensory being uh, the extrasensory senses that you have don't have the mind editing with preconceived ideas as much. And so they can go stronger. Your senses also need to be there present in non-ordinary reality. Um, and with that said, a certain amount of your sensory awareness always remains with your physical body. Unless you're in some of the other kinds of altered states that pull you completely out of your body, thus leaving your physical body vulnerable um, here in the physical world, which is not necessarily a great thing. But for instance, people that astral travel have a sense of being completely out of their body and leaving their body behind. Journeying and astral traveling are not the same. Okay, so um, what's the point that I'm making? Why does it matter to journey? So the point that I'm making is you get a different result if you're taking in different data. And that's why we're going into non-ordinary reality, to take our sensory body into non-ordinary reality to collect different data to come up with a different answer to our question. Because when we ask that question in ordinary reality, what we get is the feeling that it is impossible. Right? So we're stuck with something impossible, something that is unknown, something we don't know how to resolve. And so we're going, going to spirit, in a sense, through the journey. Remember, the journey is a divination. We're going for divine revelation. We're going to spirit to ask a question for something that is befuddling us or stopping us here in ordinary reality. So we're taking our sensory apparatus body, we're plugging it into this other realm to get a different set of information from different sources and coalescing that into an experience in the journey, which we then interpret as the answer. So that's why we should bother to journey, even though we're making all of it up. So there is a question from Nate in Wyoming. Hi, Nate. Hi, Christina. How are you? I'm good. Nate, what's your question? Um, really quickly, in your personal experience as a shaman, when you go through personal crises, um, family relatives dying, move, transition, amazing things all at once, and doubt takes hold in your life in many ways, and your ability to journey um, suffers, what do you do? What do you do when you can't journey like you used to journey? That's a really great question, Nate, and I thank you actually for bringing that up because I didn't have it on my list today, and it's a really good one. This is when we um, – what I do with this, um, there's several things. One thing is this is the value of shamanic community. If you have already developed trusting, 
deep relationships with other people who share your same sort of shamanic cosmology and the ability to journey, you can often ask your trusted peers and colleagues to journey on your questions for you. And this is something we um, work a lot how to do in my student community is how to be there for each other in those times in life when, when you are so in transition yourself that you're a moving target and it's really hard to journey. And that does happen. What you've described happens regularly. Okay, so one is to reach out to your shamanic community. But what if you don't have shamanic community? What if you're stuck in the middle of wherever and you don't have that community yet? So the other thing you can do is turn to, um, there's two things. One thing is to turn to that pool of divination tools. Not just the journey as a divination where you actually have to have your wits about you to go do it, as you've said. But I encourage everyone to have one divination tool either runes or a card deck or I really like right now the Toltec I Ching by my friend William Horton. Um, the I Ching itself, you know, some sort of physical tool that you can ask. And so to cultivate a divination practice with that tool along with your journeying because it won't react to your emotions and your journeying will as you've described. And so that would be the other thing. And usually if you can begin to get enough guidance from your physical tool, physical divination tool, you can start to sense what questions to begin asking journeying. And often those questions can get you into the journey state enough. And then your helping spirits can actually help you with the whole upset piece as well. And so the, um, divination tool can be helpful one because it's not going to respond to your state and two it may actually get you into the journey where not only can you get answers but you can begin to get help with the extreme state that you're in so that's one answer is always have a tool that's physical sits here in the world doesn't react to you the um other thing is actually tapping back into something i was talking about earlier in the show which was the embodiment altered state And again, this can help in two ways when we're really freaking out about something or just really in a state. Maybe not freaking out, but we're just in a state of grief, in a state of so much transition we don't even know whether we're coming or going. You know, whatever it is, we're in an extreme state. One of the main ways we get into an embodiment trance state is through movement, through music potentially supporting that and dancing and sound. And so when we can't journey, often it's because what we really need to do is move and, and call spirit in and embody the state that we're in and help that state of being to move through our physical being and out energetically. Um, be that grief, be that um, some strong emotion, anger, rage, betrayal, something like that. Even if it's just being in a state of profound transition. One of the things that I work with in my four-year program is using the embodiment trance state to move big energies in your physical body. Not external energies, but your own. So, for example, one in it, through a series of movement, songs or dances, a person could dance. Let's say you're in a big life transition that involves moving, quitting a job, starting a new job. Oh, let's throw a divorce in just to really make it confusing. Okay. So, so all that's happening. You could potentially dance through that whole transition, observing the feeling of the different energies running their course. Now, of course, you've invited spirit in. It's embodiment. So you've invited spirit in to guide you on these transitions. And you might be able to dance your way into the vision of what could be. Because one of the problems with change and transformation, even the most welcome, is in the middle when we're 50% old and 50% new. We don't know whether we're coming or going, and it's really confusing. And so that embodiment trance state, instead of journeying, You're not going to come up with answers or clarity necessarily at the end, but it helps you to move the energy with spirit's guidance through the body. You can feel the transition. You can feel the transition running its course and potentially even see the vision of what could be or where you're going. And that in and of itself 
can be um, settling to give us a sense, oh, right, there is a target out there. I am headed toward it. It's all going to be okay. I just need to hang on. So those would be my three answers to that very, very good question because that is the one challenge with journeying as your primary um, divinatory tool is if you're a mess, it's a mess often. So thanks. Is um, How's that, Nate, for an answer? That was like a, a seminar, and I just want to encourage everyone that's listening uh, contribute, 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 because if you do, spirit will move things physically in your life on your end, and you'll be able to take the stuff that Christine's teaching and run with it. And I've just been so thankful to you for putting yourself out there, and I wish you could give more. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for that great question. I'm so glad because I didn't have that on my list here today. All right, so where were we? Okay, so so... One of the big mistakes then in journeying for most contemporary people is that you try to see everything. Seeing's great. And some of you have great visionary capacity in your journeys. Bless your hearts. Aren't you lovely? Okay. I don't see. And I do this for a living. I don't see in my journeys. I know it sounds like I do when I narrate my journeys. I feel everything. And I've learned over 30 years actually because I started working with this um, capacity before shamanism to translate very quickly if this is what I'm experiencing what would that look like and so I don't see even though it sounds like I do because our language is also vision driven we're very biased to the visual now understand though everyone needs to go to Vegas at least once to learn certain important things one of the things to learn is about the kind of showman magic the sleight of hand Sleight of hand works because the eyes are easy to fool. So in journeying, if you are depending only on your vision, you will be most easily fooled in your journey, potentially even by your own ego. So open all your senses in your journey. When you arrive in non-ordinary reality, do a systems check. Smell online. Check. Taste online, check. Just, just like your little spaceship, right? Check the systems. Is everything engaged and online? Not just the vision. Are you hearing? Are you sensing? Is your heart online? What does it feel like on your skin? The journey ideally is a full body experience. It's a full sensory experience. And if you are narrowing your sensory collection to just vision, you're really shutting down your journey. And so I encourage you first and foremost in every journey to open up all of your senses, especially your feeling of the journey as if you had your physical body with you and definitely your heart because these things will help you understand how to understand what's happening in your journey. So another big mistake that people make. This is what the listener asked for. What are the most common errors people make journeying? Another huge mistake that people make is they dismiss simple answers. Just dismiss them outright. Oh, I journeyed and they told me to dance. That's a stupid answer. How do you know that stupid answer until you dance? They told me to sing. Yeah, so, and, did you? No. Okay. There are very, very simple answers which are extremely challenging to do and even as Nate just said a simple act profoundly life-changing to do them everybody wants drama you know everybody wants angels and their journeys with trumpets and songs and soundtracks and everybody wants you know the eagle or the bear or the lion you know nobody wants a weasel coming to them and saying lie down rest, speak to your ancestors. Nobody wants that answer. They want drama. We are so conditioned to go to the movies. Now, and I say that as a deep lover of the movies. I adore going to the movies, right? But that's the altered state everybody is expecting, is this visual soundtrack with a plot line and a culmination at the end that's the answer to your question. And those aren't actually the answers to our questions, people. The answers are rest, 
speak to your ancestors, sing, dance, pray, plant a garden, love your children. These are really simple answers. And for those people, they go, ugh, got a stupid answer. And they throw it away. What they're not seeing is that what it would take to change your life to be able to do that simple answer is the answer to your question. So singing in and of itself may not be the answer to your question. But what it would take for you to change your life and to sing daily, let's say you're supposed to go sing to a tree in the park on your way to work. What would it take for you to do that? That's actually going to be the answer to your question. And not only is it going to be the answer to your question, but it will most likely be the crazy logic shortcut answer to your question that will allow you to actually get it done sometime in your lifetime, right? And so the answers don't have to make sense, people. That doesn't make, you know, an answer that doesn't make sense is usually a really, really good answer, right? If you could actually understand how that answer is going to solve everything, I mean, understand it. I don't mean intuitively think, oh, that's right. I don't understand how that's going to work, but it feels right. That's fine. But if you can actually understand how that answer is going to get you to the conclusion, you know, then it's not a very good answer because you already know it. So why'd you bother to journey on it? If you already knew that, why aren't you doing it? You know, so there's something missing there. So anyway, do not dismiss simple answers. Now, the next mistake that people make, it's not even so much a mistake that people make. It's a challenge that we as humans have to deal with. And I call it too much earth or too much air. Some people are very, very grounded people. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful gift to have innate in your ability. The tendency towards people that are grounded is to overuse that and to become somewhat stagnant, maybe a little bit suffocating, a little bit um, stuck in the earth, a little bit unable to just leap, to follow a flight of fancy, to... I don't know, trust something crazy like, you know, running off after some crazy Bugs Bunny sort of thing, right? So that's a little earth as a gift can become a strength that is overused. Similarly, air, someone who has got too much air, great visionary capacity, sees things, big dreamer, someone who's got too much air, uh, well, has air as a gift tends to go that direction because it's comfortable. It's, and then it's used as a way to escape. It's used as a way to not have to deal with the unpleasantries of life. It becomes a way that um, we avoid some of the responsibilities and the accountability and the discipline that it takes to live well in your body and be a healthy human. And so these two issues, if this, these are gifts that you've been given in life, earth or air, and you've overused them, and so you're somewhat out of balance in them. These two things can become, both of them, become problems in your journeying. The earthiness can become a problem because you cannot get out of your body. And so what I would encourage people that feel stuck in their body when they're journeying is to check one thing first. Make sure you don't have the expectation that in journeying, you will not feel your body at all. I'm aware of my body the entire time I'm journeying, and I'm actually getting information from my body in the physical room while I'm in the journey. So there's nothing wrong with feeling your body while you're journeying. So as long as you don't have that expectation, if you still feel like you're stuck in your body and you can't get lift off into your journey, then you need to do something to raise your energy before you journey. It's too earthy, it's too fixed, and you need to bring it into a more liquid state. And so um, that could be dancing, that could be um, different yogic or Taoistic breathing techniques that begin to move the energy. But you need to do a practice then that makes sure your chi is really moving in your center channel and that you're not in a stagnant place before you journey. You might also want to practice journeying sitting or standing up instead of lying down. So I would try those things first. For those of you that are too airy, your problem is you're off in la-la land in your journeys, journeying way outside of any sort of actual answer that's got anything to do with your question, anything to do with the discipline of your journey. 
And so the important thing for people that have got way too much air is that you stick to the question. The basic fundamental discipline of journeying is one question per journey. You don't go off and have a big, long conversation that leads you from your actual answer on into all the possible ramifications of any of the options in any of the forks in the road. That's not useful to us. What's useful is an answer, which we can then act on. And then we might journey again to get another answer, which we can then ultimately act on. And there may be several journeys before we get to an action that we can take. But we don't want to just explore all the possibilities in the universe because for all we know you're exploring possibilities in parallel universes and doing gaining a whole bunch of information that is not useful to you and so the issue with someone who's airy is to really focus on the discipline in the journey itself and the discipline of interpret and do interpret and do and practice bringing what you're getting out of your journeys into action in your life so you begin to ground your relationship your airiness and use that incredible visionary capacity you have to make things happen here make good things happen here on earth so let's see another thing a lot of people don't understand they don't do the math here is all of your helping spirits are protective It, it is in their fundamental programming to protect us. Now, they will protect you from yourself. They will protect you from yourself first and foremost. So if you are immature spiritually and immature emotionally and immature psychologically, you will journey in what I call the shamanic playpen. You will have journeys, you will get answers, but you will stay within the safety realm where you're never really going to be challenged in a way that's going to trip the fact that you're barely held together spiritually, psychologically, or emotionally because you're immature and you haven't done what a human being needs to do to grow up. So our relationship with spirit will help us to wake up. But if we're really, really immature, we're going to be getting answers that are completely contained within our sphere of consciousness. And if we're immature... We need a greater sphere of consciousness. And so that's another thing to really pay attention to in your journeying is that I've, I've worked with people who get frustrated in their journeys because they feel like they're hitting their head on a glass ceiling. And they are because they're not willing to do the work emotionally or psychologically or frankly spiritually to grow up and thus be safe for spirit to let out of the playpen so you can go have a journey and get an answer that's either going to scare the crap out of you or make you cry or challenge your dearest held belief or something like that. The helping spirits can do all of that, but if you can't handle it, in other words, if you can't handle the truth, to quote Jack Nicholson, if you can't handle the truth, your helping spirits aren't going to give it to you. They're going to keep you in that nice, safe, padded cell. And you need to understand that because there are truths at every level of consciousness, right? You need to make sure that you're being allowed into a realm of consciousness that's actually going to help you to grow up. Now, I'm – oh, God, I'm running out of time. So with that said, let me at least take a moment here to talk about what is my most uh, famous common journeying error, And that is, as Steve Baer has beautifully said on this show actually a couple times, the most common mistake that people make is treating their helping spirits as a means to an end. So our helping spirits are just there to answer our questions and get us what we need and want in life. The helping spirits are an end in and of themselves. They are teachers. And you will get out of that relationship with your teachers what you deserve. You will get responded to in kind. So if you treat your helping spirits as a means to an end, which is ultimately disrespectful, and um, I can't even think of all the words right now. It's just mortifying for me to think that you're even doing that. But if you are, then you will get answers that are not full and rich and beautiful. Right, And so the important thing is to understand your role relative to your helping spirits, which is you are the student. And to go with humility, to go with grace, to go with honesty. Because believe me, they know when you're lying. They know when you're completely full of shit, even when you don't. 
right? And so to really come to your helping spirits in a way that ask them how to develop a strong working relationship with them. Ask them what their song is, what their dance is, what they want from you to show your sincerity in this relationship. So the mistake then that frustrates me the most is when people receive the love of the universe journey. And this usually happens by accident. It doesn't usually happen if someone journeys and says, I want to feel the love of the universe. It usually happens because the helping spirits are compassionate beings. And the person needs to feel this because they have a deep sense of lack of self-worth, lack of self-love. They don't feel they're valuable unless they're doing this or that or the other thing. But there is some reason that the person deeply needs to feel the profound love of the universe that comes to us through our helping spirits. It comes through us through everything, actually, if we were tuned in. But it can come through in a very direct way from the helping spirits. And what I see happening is people do the journey, they get their answer, they got more time, they're hanging out, they might be dancing to the drum, hanging out with their helping spirit. And then all of a sudden their helping spirit does something, something shifts. And they feel this profound love of the universe come to them and wash over them. And they feel their place in the oneness of all things. They know themselves as part of the divine energy. And they know that they are completely loved and accepted as they are, that they are innately worthy that they are innately loved in all ways, and that they, they feel their own goodness. They come out of the journey weeping with tears running down their face, and they know the greatest truth. They know it in every fiber of their being, every cell of their body. It's beautiful. It's absolutely exquisite. It is beauty in motion. And then the person, because they're a contemporary person, does nothing with that journey except try to have it again and again and again like the good little addict we Americans have been taught to be. And that is not the way to be in good relationship with your helping spirits. When you are honored with the love of the universe infused through you and you are thrown back in that place of knowing the greatest truth that we all need to know that is at the center of everything, What you do with that, this is the greatest mistake people make journey. You need to take that answer and draw it out in your life to its fullest logical conclusion. If I am one with all things, I am divine love, I am innately worthy, I am good, and I am filled with grace and beauty, then I no longer need to have any issues around self-worth. I no longer need to have any issues around self-love. I no longer need to have this whole boatload full of issues I'm paying my therapist to talk to me about. So when the spirits give you the answer to your suffering, take it as medicine and follow that answer through in your life in all the different directions and allow yourself to be healed by the teaching. Allow yourself to be changed because if you do not, you keep going back to try to have that deep experience again and again and again, eventually the spirits move away because you're not listening. You're not taking the gift they have to offer into your heart and receiving it. So in parting here today, even though I only got halfway through all of my most common mistakes people make journeying, Imparting, I would say, receive what your helping spirits have to offer you. Take it deeply into your heart. Allow it to change anything and everything that it can change and trust them because they know the deep and true love and interconnectedness of all things. So I give thanks to you and your helping spirits. Thanks to my helping spirits. Thanks to the ancestors who've gathered round. Thanks to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you all for joining me this week. And next week, our guest is Kevin Sachs. And he is going to talk to us about how we work with, identify, and understand spiritual emergency. When the movement of spirit in our life is more than we can handle and everything begins to seem as if it is falling apart. 
So thank you all for joining me this week. Enjoy your helping spirits and have a good week.